What's the last song that got stuck in your head? Oh, man. Uh, probably that Charlie XCX song, Boom Clap. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. I have recently been really obsessed with this particular Korean girl group called Twice. In fact, so obsessed with them that I literally wake up with their songs already in my head in the morning. Mm. They're just so catchy. Actually, in one of their songs, there is a melody that I'm pretty sure I've already heard in another catchy pop song from another girl group, except like back in the 90s in Ireland. Does that ever happen to you? Do you like listen to one song and kind of hear another one? Oh, yeah. So this happens to me with uh, Train, I think. Uh, their song Drops of Jupiter. Well, tell me, did you, sail across the sun? you hear the chorus of that, and it sounds just like Uncle Cracker's cover of the song Drift Away, originally written by Mentor Williams. Oh, well, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. And we're not the only ones who get this. In fact, sometimes those similarities that you hear between two songs even become the basis of lawsuits. And when musicians get sued for copyright infringement, the court relies on a jury to decide. So maybe they hear testimony from musicologists and experts. But at the end of the day, the decision comes down to regular people like you and me. Would you like to be a juror in a few mock trials? So I'll show you a few pairs of songs and you can tell me if one of the artists is guilty of copyright infringement. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's start with an obvious one. What song is this? Oh, that's Under Pressure, right? Queen. Ah, or is it Ice Ice Baby <laughs> by Vanilla Ice? Yeah, so this is actually a mashup of both of those songs. You low down dirty crook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm declaring a mistrial and uh, this is going to be thrown out and we're going to have to do it all over again because this is not fair. But, you know, considering you couldn't even tell that this was two different songs, do you think that Vanilla Ice is guilty here of copyright infringement? I, I mean, clearly, it's pretty much the same song. <laughs> So interestingly enough, Vanilla Ice actually tried to defend himself against this, and it's pretty funny. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, watch this clip from MTV. It's totally different. It's a rap song. It doesn't sound anything like there. And just to prove his point, Vanilla breaks it down and sings the dings. Ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. Ding, 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 ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. Ding, 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 diggy, ding, ding. That little bitty change. It's not the same. I feel like if he stood up in court and said that, not a chance. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> okay, well, here's another one. Let me know what you think this is. Okay. Ah, okay. What do you think? This is the Ghostbusters theme. Yes, or is it, in fact, the song I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis from the same year? <laughs> <laughs> I want a new think they're that similar at all i think they're going for a very different kind of groove ghostbusters is, is like clearly like funkier and huey lewis is, is just sort of like you know like cruising down the highway you know you're right but not having heard the huey lewis song before if someone just played me that i would think i was listening to ghostbusters or at least some kind of cover of ghostbusters so if you listen to the to the two songs together uh listen to the bass lines in particular okay okay 
So that's the baseline for Huey Lewis. And this is the baseline for Ghostbusters. So you're on the jury for this one. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, those those baselines are extremely similar, which is funny because baselines are kind of simple and changing them a little can go a long way. Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, this idea of these kind of very basic, simple elements of music will uh, come up later. Ooh, I am spoiling my own surprise. So we've got one more pair of songs and let the record state that one of these songs is not a song I would normally listen to. Everybody get up. Okay, this one is Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke. Yes, correct. So what about this one? I don't know this one. I think I like it better though. So you were right. One of the songs is Blurred Lines from Robin Thicke, Pharrell Williams, and T.I. from 2013. The other song is from the 70s, and it's a Marvin Gaye song called Gotta Give It Up. I feel like this comparison is less obvious than the other two. It's more about the feeling of the song. So I don't know if you caught similarities between them. What do you think? It's like they're aspiring to a similar groove. Ironically, Blurred Lines represents a clear turning point, uh, after which there have been lots of these kinds of cases, perhaps because it set a precedent for infringement over not just the melody, but the feel of a song. And songwriters are worried, because it doesn't matter whether you copy something on purpose or stumble across the same catchy melody accidentally, you could still end up paying out millions of dollars. Earlier this year, Rolling Stone published an article with the headline, How Music Copyright Lawsuits Are Scaring Away New Hits, saying that some artists are even spending tens of thousands of dollars on insurance. Yeah, and this is a big problem to sort out, right? Uh, For people who make music and also for people who like music, because I want artists to get paid for their work and not have it get stolen, but I don't want that to make making music harder. I don't want to miss out on seeing a great new artist just because they're scared of being sued. Well, luckily, Joshua, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Enter our would-be saviors, two musicians, one of which also happens to be a lawyer, so he's thought about this problem a lot, and they're both programmers. So naturally, they come up with a technological solution, an algorithm to create every possible melody and release them for free to the public, a project they call All the Music. Their goal to make sure artists can create freely without the fear of being sued. We have mathematically exhausted every melody in an effort to protect songwriters from getting sued unjustly. We'll look at how they hope to save the musical world, whether their algorithm can really challenge the law, and what all that means for the artists and songs we love. After this musical interlude. Welcome back to Wild Wild Tech. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. And I'm Joshua Rivera. And each week, we're bringing you to the intersection of pop culture and technology and sharing the fascinating stories that have impacted the world around us. So before we get into this, I have my own copyright infringement confession. When I was maybe 12 years old, my school held a music composition competition, challenging us to write a melody for the lyrics to an unfamiliar Christmas carol. 
Except I was a music nerd and I had been in this choir where we'd sung a bunch of unfamiliar Christmas carols, including the one they assigned to us. So I just copied that melody and used it as my entry. Uh, I actually think I came in second. You came in second just because you just knew obscure Christmas carols? (laughs) Yeah, it pays off to be a nerd. (laughs) But it's a good thing I didn't try and sell it because that is some pretty cut and dried copyright infringement. Um, But the reason I bring it up is because I think it's important to stress that musicians don't have to be miscreants like me to get in trouble for this. They don't have to copy another song on purpose. So keeping that in mind, Joshua, pretend for a moment that you are not a writer and podcaster extraordinaire, but instead a singer-songwriter and not one who plagiarizes like I did. (laughs) After several months of hard work, you have come out with a new single that you think people are going to love. And they do, but you've also got a hater, another musician who hears your song and thinks it sounds a lot like theirs from a few years back, and they sue. How do you feel? Nervous, because being sued is expensive. Yeah, and you're not alone. Our favorite pop stars are scared of expensive copyright lawsuits, and two guys want to save them from that fear with an ambitious project called All The Music, a database of melodies, all created with an algorithm. I spoke to one of them, who we will meet shortly. But before that, we need to understand some of the basics of copyright law and just how much money is on the line. So I'm guessing you talk to an expert for this, right? (laughs) That's what we do on Wild World Tech. I spoke to someone who thinks about copyright law for a living, especially when it comes to the music industry. My name is Cristelia Garcia. I am a professor at the University of Colorado School of Law, where I teach copyright, trademark, and research in intellectual property. So the first basic question, what does music copyright cover? At the highest abstract level, there actually every song has two copyrights. There's a copyright on the musical composition, which traditionally is what you and I would think of as like the sheet music or the musical notation on a piece of paper. That's one copyright. That's the musical composition. The other copyright is on the sound recording itself. We could all record, regrettably, our own versions of Girls Just Want to Have Fun, and we can all get a copyright on those things, but they all stem from the same composition. Got it. So basically, there are like the musical notes that you can copyright, and then there's also the recording, right? So Mm -hmm. like the actual version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun that you hear on the radio, not my version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun that I'm about to record. (laughs) which I'm desperate to hear, or even be in. You know, I've got a great voice. So my next question for Cristalia was, why this mattered? What kinds of stakes are at play? So remember I made you listen to the Blurred Lines case? Now with Blurred Lines came this massive, you know, multi-million dollar settlement. And as with any field, if there's multi-million dollar settlements, then there are lawyers, right? And and people who are ready to um, replicate, hopefully, those same verdicts for their clients and in their matters. Yeah, I'm honestly kind of glad Robin Thicke had to pay out a lot of money for Blurred Lines because that song is lousy. But I would be pretty bummed if a musician or song I did like got sued for millions. There's a lot of money to lose. So musicians are scared. So scared that some of them are buying insurance to protect them if they get sued. Particularly successful artists and composers are actually getting the equivalent of E&O insurance, right? Like this executive officer insurance. Is that errors and emissions insurance? Correct, yes. Um, For cases in which they get threatened with an infringement suit to just pay settlements off with that insurance. Um, And of course, now people know that that insurance exists and that only increases the uh, appeal of going for a settlement. 
this feels like a new way to make music even more litigious than it already is. Right. And that's where our renegade musician programmers come in. They see this as a problem and want to solve it. I spoke to one of them. Joshua, meet Damien. My name is Damien Real. I'm a legal technologist that also founded All the Music LLC along with Noah Rubin. We have mathematically exhausted every melody in an effort to protect songwriters from getting sued unjustly. As well as a legal technologist, Damien is also a musician and was motivated in part by his strong feelings about creative freedom. He was inspired in particular by one unique case involving George Harrison. Ah, the best Beatle. Yes. Sadly, he is no longer with us. Uh, But back in 1970, so after the Beatles, uh, George Harrison released a song called My Sweet Lord. My sweet Lord. Mm, Lord. On the following year, Bright Tunes Music Corporation filed suit, alleging that that song plagiarised a song called He's So Fine, which was written by Ronnie Mack and recorded by the Chiffons in 1963. He's so fine. What do you think? Yeah, the verses are both kind of the same, right? The feel of the song around the choruses is different enough to say that, like, I think it would be kind of worth it in my view. But like, if you're just listening to those verses, they line up. The judge ruled in favour of Bright Tunes, determining that Harrison had committed subconscious plagiarism. What is that, right? Like, so the whole point of plagiarism is that it's conscious. This is like an oxymoron that exists in marketing, not in court. That is exactly how Damien felt when he learned about this case in law school. So the intent has always mattered in every area of the law, except for this George Harrison case, where the judge said, you know, I know you didn't mean to infringe the copyright, but you did infringe the copyright, uh, therefore you lose. So I thought, how can I prove a negative? How can I prove, as George Harrison, that I've never heard this song before in my life, that I've never heard it in the, over the grocery store uh, you know, loudspeakers, that I've never heard it in a friend's car? Um, proving a negative in philosophy is, is impossible. One cannot prove a negative. So essentially, by this judge's ruling, he's forcing George Harrison and every other songwriter defendant to prove a negative. So I thought that that just doesn't seem right. So Damien and Noah created this project called All the Music, a huge database of melodies created by an algorithm, which if you need a reminder... In the simplest terms, an algorithm is just uh, something where you create an input and it creates an output. For example, one plus one equals two is an algorithm because you'd be able to say, okay, one plus one is the input, output is two. Uh, So that idea, of course, is more complex when you get into artificial intelligence and brute forcing, Uh, but it's really the same concept. Uh, You have an input and then uh, the algorithm transforms that input into an output. Like a recipe. It's like a recipe, exactly. (laughs) A recipe is is the most uh, common form of algorithm. As a baker, I obviously love that analogy. You know, you grab your ingredients, follow the instructions, and get a delicious result. So with this algorithm, the input, the ingredients, is musical notes, and the output, the cake, is melodies. Damien and Noah wanted their program to use every possible recipe to create every possible melody, every possible combination of musical notes. Like a hacker guessing someone's password. Of course, there are 26 letters in the English alphabet, and all good passwords should include numbers and special characters as well. But luckily, there are only eight notes. Yeah, I mean, it's a little more complicated than that, but generally speaking, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, basically, there are only 12 notes in Western music. And you could even break it down further and say there are only eight notes in a scale. I'm sure you've seen The Sound of Music. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. 
Yes, a female deer. I should point out that we are obviously talking about a particular kind of music here, Western pop, the kind of music that features in these lawsuits. And in Western pop music, Damien says, most melodies stick to those eight notes. You know, we're not talking about jazz. We're not talking about atonal uh, 20th century, uh, you know, aleatoric music. We're talking about pop music, which is incredibly simple and uses the same mathematical bases of melodies that everybody has to use. And just as passwords usually have to be a certain number of characters long, Damien and Noah initially wanted to keep their melodies to a specific length, so say 12 beats. So they fed those eight notes to their algorithm and instructed it to systematically create every possible 12-beat combination. So melody number one. Melody number two. Melody number three. I think... I mean, I personally love this song, but but uh, how many how many melodies did they come up with? Did they really create all the music? I mean, it depends on how strict you want to be about the word all, but Damien makes a pretty convincing argument. Over the course of the last uh, year, we've now generated 200 billion, with a, a B, uh, 200 billion melodies, uh, which exhausts, uh, you know, certainly... It's, it can't be infinite uh, because that's impossible mathematically, but it's a super large uh, amount of uh, melodies that covers almost every melody that's ever been and every melody that ever can be. 200 billion? To put that large number into perspective, just doing a quick bit of mental arithmetic here, uh, if you took four seconds to listen to each melody and you played them all day, every day, never stopping, it would take you 25,352 years to listen to them all. That is depressing. But also, like, you know, Im- impressive. I just have feel weird about music being as dry as math. I'm going to have a hard time wrapping my head around that. Yeah, and the project continues to expand. They've since added some additional ingredients. Uh, for the music nerds listening, they are now also using the minor and chromatic scales. And Damien says they've also represented rhythm by punctuating the notes with beats of silence. But so far, yeah, they've generated about 200 billion melodies. And they're all saved in that MIDI format I mentioned before, to a hard disk. Our melodies exist on the a hard drive uh, that is sitting right behind me. Now, because it's on a hard drive, a tangible medium, legally he owns it, which leads to his grand finale. If he owns 200 billion melodies, then he can give them away. So that's what they did. They released them under a Creative Commons Zero license, which is like the public domain, except they don't have to die first. Hell yeah. So like a musical Robin Hood. But does this actually help musicians? If I get sued, can I use Damien and Noah's database of melodies in my defense? Well, this is the fun thing about having two lawyers weighing in on this episode. I do, of course, as the professor have to say, I don't think it does what they think it does. I think we need to take this to trial. I'll see you in court after this. So these guys create the All the Music project. They release billions of melodies for anybody to use without fear of infringement. What does that actually change for musicians? Imagine Damien and Noah's algorithm had been around, somehow, when George Harrison was writing My Sweet Lord. There are two ways it might have helped him. The first is that when Bright Tunes came to him and said, you subconsciously copied our song, he's so fine, 
He could have said, no, no, I actually intentionally copied one of these MIDI melodies, which is fine because they're in the public domain. That's sneaky, but it works, (laughs) I think. So that's one argument. The other is a bit more philosophical. Here's Damien again, our triple threat lawyer, musician, programmer, to explain. And so only in the middle of this process did I realize the implications for George Harrison, that if we show through this 200 billion uh, melodies created, that these melodies are just math. Math is not copyrightable. I can't copyright one plus one equals two because that's just the laws of nature. So in the same way, should I be able to copyright do, 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 re, right? I shouldn't be able to because that's just a law of nature. That's for all musicians to be able to use. So by demonstrating that our algorithm just created math, which then outputted music, maybe people shouldn't sue over these musical melodies, these you stole my melody lawsuits. Maybe they should go away because you can't steal math. Yeah, that makes sense. But it also kind of like makes creativity not a part of the process at all, right? This gets really interesting. It has all sorts of legal and philosophical considerations. And even though I spoke to our two lawyers separately, they were both so smart and so good at predicting what the other might say, it was kind of like they were in the same courtroom, exchanging points and counterpoints. Let's start with Cristelia's initial response to this algorithm. I think it's great that a programmer and a musician got together and sort of geeked out and came up with this this thought experiment. I do, of course, as the professor have to say, I don't think it does what they think it does. Um, But I think the thought experiment is really interesting. Her first challenge is a big one. Here's the kick, though. Um, In addition to possibly recording a lot of new melodies, they almost absolutely copied a lot of already copyrighted melodies. So in addition to releasing lots of new melodies into the public domain for uh, musicians to use safely, they also committed mass copyright infringement. Ooh, busted. So is Damien on trial now? Well, Damien maintains their innocence. I have a bachelor's degree in music. So I've listened to many genres, jazz, you know, classical music. I've listened to maybe hundreds of thousands of songs over the course of my life. I have not referenced a single one of those songs in creating the algorithm. So the fact that I've heard the song has nothing to do with me creating this thing that is just mathematically generated, you know, outputs. Joshua, put on your wig and gown and grab your gavel. What are your thoughts? Wow. This is very like, do androids dream of electric sheep, right? Like, Does the robot create the music, or do we hold the person who created the robot responsible? It's very sci-fi. Cristelia's next issue was with the idea of access. Going back to your hypothetical song, Joshua, if someone sues you for copyright infringement over their hit from a few years back, and you want to defend yourself by saying you are actually copying one of Damien and Noah's melodies, Cristelia says that you would need to prove that you had access to those MIDI melodies. Let's assume that I'm Beyonce. And I can show that you've indeed have access to my music. What are the chances that you have access to these guys' archives? Where did you hear about it? How many listens does it have? How do you know that? Like, when did you do it? So I would probably push on the access because if they didn't actually sit down and listen to this archive of a billion different melodies, um, then it's going to be really hard for them to say that's where they got it from as opposed to Beyonce's song. Oh, yeah. I I mean... I'm far more likely to rip off a Beyonce song than an algorithm, right? Like Beyonce is everywhere. There are Beyonce songs that I know that I don't even know are Beyonce songs. So she might even cause me to subconsciously plagiarize. I haven't even heard about this algorithm until you told me about it. So I would probably have to pay out. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the point that Cristalia was making, right? Like you probably couldn't argue that you had accessed this database to use for your own song. 
But of course, Damien has a rebuttal. If you go to allthemusic.info, our website, uh, you'll be able to access both the output that we've created, uh, at least a subset of that output, as well as the algorithm we've used to generate it. But I would argue thing number one is, do they really need access if they know it exists? Do they actually need to hear it with their ears to have quote-unquote access? So that's thing number one. Uh, thing number two is, is a melody, mathematics, which is factual, which under the law is uncopyrightable. So if that is true, access comes out of the equation. Access doesn't matter. Like any good lawyer, Christelia has a counter-counterpoint to this argument that melodies are uncopyrightable facts. Because while it's true that musicology has a lot to do with mathematics and uh, the worlds often collide, the art of putting these things together, the decisions that are made in which octave and and how long you're going to hold a note and what the next note's going to be, and then the lyrics that you pair to those notes, that's the music, right? Like, that's the actual art. And she's right. Damien does think it's more complicated. In fact, that's a big part of his motivation for working on the project. It's the melody plus the lyrics, plus the ache of the voice, plus the uh, chords that you place around the thing, plus uh, the, the way that you uh, do the crescendos and the decrescendos, the dynamics. So all of those things in combination make something beautiful and make something worth listening to. If you isolate one of those things out of it, that is not the thing, because there is a gestalt idea that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so uh, the melody is just one of those parts. So taken in isolation, that is not the song. The song is all of the things together. So when we think about what should be sued over, it should be about the gestalt, the everything, and not just the one part that is mathematically finite. I love the way he describes the ache of the voice. Like, I really like Adele, and that song, Someone Like You, would not be the same without her distinctly powerful and emotionally devastating voice. It should be all these things, right? And not revolving around like things like chord progressions, right? Which are much more finite and shared throughout songs. Like there's some, there's a baseline to music that is shared. Yeah. I mean, it's a meme that there are like four chords that are used in every song, right? Yep. <laughs> and this debate over whether the melody is just a mathematical part and not the whole song, it kind of feels like the crux of Damien and Cristalia's arguments. And it showed up again in a recent court case. Katy Perry was sued by a Christian rapper called Flame for her song Dark Horse. Here's Katy Perry's song. And here's Flame's song, Joyful Noise. Wait, so that tiny section is what she got sued over? That seems a little unfair. Yes, they're similar, but can you really claim ownership over that one phrase or set of eight notes or whatever? Yeah, Damien would say absolutely not. Here's how he breaks down the case. Step number one is the uh, Katy Perry who got sued um, asked the court, "Hey, could you dismiss this case because it has uh, because melody is this melody is just factual and should go away?" Um, the court actually said, no, we're not going to dismiss it. We're going to go to trial. That's thing number one. Thing number two, they went to trial and a jury decided, yep, Katy Perry did steal it. Therefore, you're, Katy Perry is on the hook for two point some million dollars. Jeez. 2.8 million to be exact. But then after the jury trial. Thing number three that happened was the court then went back after the jury's verdict and said, you know, as a matter of law, Katy Perry is right. That melody, that melody is just fact. Therefore, it should go away. 
kind of backtracking on thing number one, <laughs> where maybe before the, the jury trial, maybe the court realized, oh gosh, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have dismissed this before it went to the jury. So it sounds like judges are starting to sing from the same hymn sheet as Damien and Noah, but it might take a while before that kind of philosophical argument gets through to the average listeners on the jury. Cristelia has her doubts about presenting the jury with an argument based on an algorithm as well. All that can do, maybe, is muddle the jury and confuse people and make them unsure. Yeah, I could definitely see a jury getting muddled by talk of algorithms. But Damien has his sights aimed elsewhere. Really, these lawyers are uh, pulling in these old songwriters, and they're taking the lawyers are taking the cases on what's called contingency. So almost like uh, when I, if you get hit by a car, um, uh, the lawyers would say, "Well, you don't pay me unless I get paid." Really, that gives the incentive to the lawyer to chase out, find these "You Stole My Melody" lawsuits, and then try to sue them out. So part of what I'm doing with this all the music project is to be able to maybe have those lawyers think twice. Do you think that's effective, though? Like, the lawsuits are still coming. Yeah, but I mean, it sounds like from the Katy Perry example that the tide is turning again. Mm. So it turned with blurred lines, but maybe it's turning back again with Katy Perry. Interesting. So maybe it's working. And maybe there'll be less litigation. I mean, I know your country, Joshua, is a particularly litigious one. Yes, we love suing, (laughs) but only when you have money. Which leads to the final point Cristelia made that gave me pause. As gross as all this super litigious culture seems, there are other valid reasons why it's important to be able to sue over a song. Namely, artists who are vulnerable in the music industry. I certainly uh, recognize the impetus for bringing those kinds of suits um, for these estates of these artists who never really got their due in their day uh, for a variety of reasons, including largely racial ones, and that are looking for a little bit of um, recompense now. Remember in the Blurred Lines case, the prosecution was acting on behalf of Marvin Gaye, and the song George Harrison was accused of plagiarizing was sung by the Chiffons and written by Black songwriter Ronnie Mack. So they're both cases of courts ruling in favor of Black artists. So how does Damien account for this? He seems to think that the playing field is a bit more fair than that, that you can be at risk either way. I would say that the interesting part of my work is that it's not pro-songwriter or anti-songwriter because songwriters are on both sides of the V. They're both the ones suing and they're also the ones getting sued. A good copyright lawyer named Howard Knopf uh, out of Canada, who was also a Juilliard-trained musician, he said, this is a circular firing squad. This is, uh, you know, I might be suing today, but I might get sued tomorrow. If you look at lists of music copyright lawsuits, the same names often come up on both sides as claimants and defendants across different cases. So I think Damien has a point with his circular firing squad analogy. And aside from the lawyers making money from this, I think most people would agree that something needs to change. Right. I mean, it seems Damien is arguing that melody is where we can sort of like raise the difficulty of starting a lawsuit or suing someone. Yeah. Or as Damien puts it, we should focus less on suing each other and focus more on making good music. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah, uh, he's an idealist for sure. But Cristelia doesn't think that his dream has come true just yet. And unfortunately, I don't think it is an artist's safe haven, which is what I think they meant to do. But I think it does do the job of highlighting how silly it has become, allowing, you know, the copywriting of pretty basic melodies that we see replicated in all sorts of different ways. But as Damien's project and its audience continue to grow, he remains optimistic. 
and driven. These lawsuits have consequences, and that is to essentially limit the creativity of songwriters. So if we take the You Stole My Melody lawsuits off the table, I would hope that we as a society make more music and are able to make, put more beautiful things out in the world. And as these last several months have shown us, uh, we certainly need more of that beauty in the world. So, Joshua, singer-songwriter with a big hit on your hands and a music copyright lawsuit looming over your head. How are you feeling now that Damien and Noah have come to the rescue? I want a copy of that hard drive so I can be like, this is my favorite hard drive and I use it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, as Damien said, now that you know the database of melodies exists and where to access it, you don't even need the hard drive. You're good to go. And if you want more access, uh, definitely check out Damien's TEDx talk. We will link it in the episode description. Funnily enough, in the comments under that video, there is a small movement going to achieve 3 million views so that they can claim broad access. As you can probably tell, I really enjoyed researching this story. In a strange coincidence, while I was looking into the Creative Commons side of things, I came across the official Creative Commons Twitter account, and they were running a poll asking, should the output generated by an AI system, such as music, artwork, poems, etc., be protected by copyright or automatically enter the public domain? What do you think? It should be public domain. A robot can do things so much faster than people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the results were 68.6% of people agree with you that it should be in the public domain. What do you think, listeners? Should AI get copyrights? And what songs haven't we mentioned that sound incredibly similar to you? What song is stuck in your head now that you've listened to this episode? Let us know by leaving us a review on your podcast app. Joshua, what song are you going to be singing all day after this? Pressure pushing (laughs) down on me. Next time on Wild Wild Tech, Joshua talks to a Twitch user who got banned from a Twitch channel hosted by none other than the United States Army. Wild Wild Tech is a Studio 71 original podcast and a spoke media production. It's hosted by myself, Jordan Erica Weber, and Joshua Rivera. You can find us at jordanweber.com and at jmrivera02 on Twitter. Our producers are Cody Hoffmuckle and Janielle Kastner, with help from Reyes Mendoza and Caroline Hamilton. This episode was mixed by Will Short. Our executive producers are Stephen Perlstein and Andrew Seeley for Studio 71, and Aaliyah Tavakolian and Keith Reynolds for Spoke Media. Huge thank yous to Christelia and Damien for their knowledge and insights. If you want access, go to allthemusic.info, where you can find the code for the algorithm, the melodies, and Damien's TEDx talk, which I recommend. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Wild Wild Tech Pod. Thank you for the music. 